You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello, everyone. Good day to you. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Armchair Cricket Podcast. This is a podcast about test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Green. We are recording this episode on the 5th of February. Thanks for all your support uh, by listening to our podcast. Um, Do continue to listen to us and also remember to introduce this to your cricket-loving friends. You can find us on Podbean or Apple Podcasts or even Spotify. Just look for Armchair Cricket Podcast or find the links to these in the episode description. Please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts um, uh, and share your thoughts in the comments section. You can email us on armchair.cricket at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Uh, Our Twitter handle is at armchaircrickpod. We are sometimes uh, on Twitter during live matches. Uh, You can join us there for a banter. Now... I have with me Ajit. Hello, Ajit. How are you doing? Hi, Giri. Yeah, it has been an interesting sort of a week so far for me. Quite yeah. busy at work. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, cricket keeps me going. Let me put it yeah. like this. Also, uh, eventful uh, couple of days, I would say, right? Towards the weekend last week, yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course. So, before we get into that, let's quickly look back at the trivia question we had asked. So, there was a main trivia question and another smaller one, right? Mm-hmm. So, the main trivia question we had asked was, which is the only batting record remaining from the first test? The mm-hmm. first ever test between Australia and England in 1877 at the MCG, right? Yeah. So, uh, we have not got any positive answers uh, for this one. So, I will answer the question. The answer is, the percentage of runs scored by a batsman in a completed test innings, right? So, this was done by a certain Charlie Bannerman or Charles Bannerman, right? So, this guy has a multiple uh, record set from this first test match. Many of those are the firsts in cricket itself. So, before we go into that, I would just like to concentrate on the one record which still stands as the longest standing batting record. That is that he scored, Charles Mannerman scored 165 not out out of his team's total of 245. So, this gives him a percentage of 67.34%. You know, 67.34% of the teams run scored by one innings that is one batsman's innings so this is still the record for the most number of or most highest percentage of runs scored by a batsman in a completed innings for his team so if you look at the list right most of these are from a slightly different era but occasionally you see a test pop up from the last decade or the last two decades for example at number two is michael slater's 123 out of 184 in 1999 in an ashes test or uh, number three, Lakshman's 167 out of 261, yeah, which is an innings yeah. Yeah, in Sydney, if you remember, yeah. 2000. Yeah, right? yeah, that's right. And the number four is then, like, let's say the bolter, the surprising one. It's Greg Brath- Brathwaite scoring 94 out of 148 for West Indies in 2015. Right? So and there's an occasional bolter, but mostly these were records which were in a different era with the improvement in batting conditions, also with the improvement in batting and the equipment. I think batsmen nowadays, um, these rare records, like one person scoring a large percentage of the team's runs doesn't happen very often. But when I look at this list, what I see is 
most of these scores are big ones for example simon nurse scored a 258 out of his team's 417 even charlie bannerman what i said 165 out of 245 these are all big runs right lakshman 167 yeah. yeah there are a couple of innings which would be surprising for example asanka gurusinha scored 52 out of his team's 82 which was in uh, 1990 and so on so there are i think in this list this is the lowest smallest score the score of 52 by asanka gurusinha out of his team's 82 even though the percentage is 63 the individual score of 52 is the lowest on this list but the highest on this list yeah i was going to ask is don bradman's 334 out of 566 yeah. which is 59% of the team's runs right so and there's also another 299 by the same man which would amount to about 58 and a half so if he went big you can imagine he went very big right we know this um, actually i would like to make one small correction i had not noticed that there is there are two couple of lower scores i'm really sorry about this uh, there are two lower scores len hutton once scored a 30 out of his team 52 this was all the way back in 1948 in that invincible tour of you know australia mm-hmm. and then uh, recently as recently as 2018 craig overton scored 33 out of his team's 58 when england mm-hmm. collapsed to new zealand in the march of 2018 just last year he scored 33 not out in his team's 58 all out right so uh, there are some very shocking scores so this this is a very fascinating read so um, let's also this lytton das I think who's who's again very new. He he scored twenty five in his team score of forty. Wow! <laughs> again twenty eighteen. So there are these occasional bolters. You would not you would not look to you know because it falls quite lower in the amount of percent. It doesn't really jump out at you. But twenty five is probably the lowest on this list. I think I can safely say there's a twenty six not out and there's a twenty five. So twenty five I think is the lowest on this list. And they, they stop at fifty-five percent, of course. They stop that at fifty-five. That probably saved his career, I think. Leton Das's career. Indeed. Twenty-five. <laughs> right. All right. So some of, if I were to quickly run through some of the other records that um, you know Charles Bannerman has, is of course you know, because there are all firsts. It was in the very first test, so he was the first ever English-born player to represent Australia. He faced the first ball, scored the first runs in tests. He scored the first fifty, the first hundred, and the first one fifty in a test. right because his score was 165 he was also the first batsman to be retired hurt so in the um basically just after lunch on the second day he had to retire hurt because he was injured badly then of course um also he hit more than 15 fours in the innings this is the first and this is still the most runs scored by an australian debutant you know 165 in the debut innings this is still the highest score right and so on and so on so there are many records he holds but the one that will that will probably never be broken i dare say that is his percentage of runs 67.34 in a completed innings so uh, the other question that we had asked was uh, who is the tallest double centurion in tests is it jason holder was the question so we saw that today somebody so today being the 5th of february somebody has asked on quick info whether jason holder is the tallest centurion right mm. and uh, the answer has come that surprisingly tony greg who i always thought was a little shorter than jason holder apparently is a little taller by a matter of a few centimeters taller than jason holder and therefore he i think he had a very nice hairstyle that day that's that's how i think he got taller but let's not get into that and he probably is the tallest centurion but my claim in international cricket jason holder is still the tallest double centurion i would like to hear from our listeners if they have a different view right 
all right then moving on to the cricketing event from around the world let's first look at the uh, the second test between uh, australia and sri lanka do we, shall we do that kiri yeah let's do that go ahead so if i were to quickly summarize what happened right sri lanka got got beaten in a bad way so this is something we had predicted uh, all along that you know australia may take the brunt of their frustration out on sri lanka and it really happened like that so australia having batted first i think we when we were recording the previous podcast it was the first day of the test and um, you know australia were already in a very strong position and we had left joy burns at 172 172 not out and we were hoping that this guy would get to 100 uh, 200 right unfortunately he failed so he made on 180 but then you have head were already made 161 and then of course there was curtis patterson who converted his overnight score to 100 right and australia declared on 534 for 5 mm. so they gave themselves enough time to sort of you know probably if required to come back and bat again for the fourth innings but then as it turned out it was never required because uh, sri lanka first of all made just 215 in the first innings mm. and then instead of choosing to force the follow on australia chose to bat and here usman khwaja scored 100 so in the first bowling innings of australia stark had already taken a 5-4 so these were probably the two underperforming players in that team so they sort of made up for that right and then of course australia declared at 196 for 3 setting sri lanka an improbable 516 to chase which they could not so they were 149 all out this was you saw this you know this fatigue in the sri lankan team they were really not in the fight in the last innings so they just collapsed to 149 all out again stark took another 54 i think um, and comins chipped in with 3 so it 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 was an overall um, a thrashing sri lanka received at the hands of australia something you want to talk about in this series giri anything you want to highlight yeah i think you, you can probably see the difference uh, or uh, um, you know the, the, the... the level of uh, skills the two teams exhibited uh, not just physically but also mentally i think australia were tougher sri lanka were probably depleted mm-hmm. uh, in terms of team personnel as well as in terms of plans or strategy or anything like that so they didn't they just didn't have the energy uh, you know come to come at australia and you know make a match uh, or uh, you know uh, show any kind of fighting spirit i think they were completely gone towards the end of the series uh, i think they probably were also looking forward to uh, you know um ending the series and moving on to other things Indeed. um <clears throat> yeah um it, it, it's it, with the world cup approaching uh, i think sri lanka will probably have to have a you know deep um uh, deeper look into uh, what they've been doing over the last few months and also mm-hmm. try to build a stable base on which uh, the the team can perform i think they they lack some quality players like angelo matthews at the moment Uh, but once he's back from his injury i think he will certain, definitely um, you know bolster the batting strength but then uh, they have to reinvent themselves kind of uh, i think uh, they probably have to uh, do a lot of homework um, and uh, be ready for world cup otherwise uh, you look at west indies west indies are on the way up so you're going to have a lot of trouble uh, uh, facing teams like that i think uh, even bangladesh may be a bit of a handful if Sri Lanka work to go this route you know if they don't pick themselves up they pick themselves up i think it's going to be quite tough for them but i hope that uh, you know they will revive themselves and uh, um, come back strong indeed yeah. now so as you say that test team is really on a trough an extended trough you know ever since all those greats retired they're, they're struggling so just a couple of small things to highlight you know 
I think um, Karunaratne had a nasty injury on the first day's play or the second day's play when Sri Lanka batted and uh, I think he was declared uh, clear of all injury. So that was a good thing. So he was able to come back and resume his innings on the third and the fourth days, right? And also, um, I think Kusal Pereira suffered another injury, another horrific, I think Jai Richardson hit him on the helmet. And in this case, for, um, I think Karunaratne was hit on the helmet by Stark. So yeah. those those you know frightening Australian bowlers finally came to the fore. Stark took a ten for with a with two five fours in the test, right? Yeah. So that's one tick, one more tick. Let me put it like this: an Australian sort of uh, uh, to do list, and of course Kwaja scoring a hundred. I think Kwaja also after this match sort of um, spoke a little bit about how um, you know having that experience of his brother being arrested for a you know. A, some terror suspect uh, issues really affected him so he spoke about this and interestingly also i think there's a now this this new team ethos of australia we're able to see under tim pain what they're able to do i think this is very clearly visible because now they're winning yeah but this team now has its own ethos that team pain is able to sort of impart to the team you can see that mm-hmm. of course when you look at the total run scorers and bowlers you see australia dominating all of it the top 3 run scorers are australian and the top 3 wicket takers are australian pat cummins right he finished uh, man of the series for taking 14 wickets at an average of 7.78 right and also jay richardson had a promising debut stark had a quiet series until he took 10 for in the second test so that was a good thing so he sort of also showed that hunger is still alive you know so, i think he found his form as well right i think he found his form right at the end of the uh, summer australian summer almost Exactly. Now, well, better late than never, let's say. Yeah. And of course, uh, one one last thing to mention here. Uh, we've just got to know that uh, Dinesh Chandimal has not only been sacked as the captain of Sri Lanka in tests, but also has been dropped from the team altogether. Yeah. So this is this is a bit of an easier reaction from the selectors, right? Yeah, I think they've asked him to go back to domestic circuit and then uh, uh, you know uh, spend some time there, uh, hone his skills, and then come back. Right, that's what they have done. Yeah, yeah. Look, he's one of the more experienced batters there. Without, without really Matthews in the lineup, there's nothing. Now they head on to South Africa for a full tour, and now Karuna Ratna will be the captain. Is what I read. It seems like a really, really interesting and not a good thing to do in the World Cup year. This is not the first time uh, that Sri Lankan, uh, you know, selectors have done this. I think they also did this. Uh, who was the other captain who was dropped unceremoniously? After a bad series, was that Matthews? It might have been Matthews. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me, but then again, you know, um, I don't know what they'll do from here. They 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 are going to South Africa next. Uh, Yeah. So they will have a couple of Test matches there. I think five One Day matches. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) what will they do with this team? Um, They need more personnel, uh, more skills. Yeah. If anything, they'll need uh, some fast bowlers who don't break down if somebody sneezes on them. No, just uh, yeah. not to put it in his article very nicely. Mm-hmm. It, it, the only only bright spot, if any, is the five four that Suranga Lakmal took in the first innings, first test, right? But then that's about it. He had to also not um, he could also not get to play the second one because he himself was. But is injured. he expected to be fit uh, yes. for the South African series? Okay. Yes. Well, he could also He's be fit. a captain, right? He was captain uh, briefly. I think uh, him him losing the series against England may have cost his chances. You know, um, too many. Uh, you know, they they keep chopping uh, players and captaincies uh, with Sri Lanka. I think um, they need yeah they they need to give the, their players a chance. I think they need to give them a longer run, like yeah. they are doing with uh, you know for example Safraz. Uh, 
Pakistan. They they don't have right. any other alternative. So that's a good point. So just to just to finish that point, what you brought up, I think Pakistan cricket board did the right thing by confirming Sarfraz as the captain until the World Cup, so that any divisive thoughts and divisive mm. talk in the media can be. This is what needs to be done. But in this article, Andrew Fernando points out that it it need it needs a grassroots up change in Sri Lankan mindset to cricket, right? Anything that happens top down is really not useful. Changing yeah. the people of the board, changing the captains, changing the coaches—that is really not the solution. That's what he points out. This is an interesting article. I would like to recommend to anybody who wants to really read. And, what, and you know, come to think of it, uh, uh, in 1996 when Sri Lanka won the World Cup, they were they were they had such a nice team back then. You remember? They were so strong. Uh, of course, they were also playing in subcontinent conditions. Mm-hmm. And now, 23 years later, I think one how many World Cups? I think four or five World Cups later. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a team right now looks not even a shadow of that you know it's just so depleted uh, well, it's really sad to see mm-hmm. on the day afghanistan and bangladesh will beat them comfortably i think even in one day so it's it's yeah. not a good thing it's not a yeah. good look we but, should keep okay. an eye out for uh, afghanistan i think they, they will be it's, in the shorter format and the shorter formats they're very mm-hmm. dangerous yeah. right all right so mm-hmm. if you were to now move on from the pathos that sri lanka is facing to some really bright spots that west indies Uh, are now finally looking at i think right yeah. would you yeah. like to take us through the second test quickly giri yeah let's do that um so second test was i think we we started uh, covering this test match uh, in our previous uh, episode so by the time we Indeed. yeah i think let, let's go through that again so this was played at um, um anti uh, you know uh, antica yes um so west indies had won the toss and they had inserted england Uh, to bat first on a greenish pitch, which uh, where there was a lot of bounce uh, expected, and uh, you know the fast bowlers would find it very conducive. Um, mm. England had a, you know, it was a modest total in the first innings. The top order did not contribute except for uh, Bairstow and mm-hmm. some counter attack down the order by uh, Moin Ali and Ben Fox. Apart from that, they were uh, found, uh, you know, uh, lacking in the batting, batting department. Mm-hmm. Uh, but West Indian pacers, uh, Kim Aroch, Gabriel, uh, and Alzari Joseph also hold a run. I mean, they, they all bowled well, very tight line and length, and uh, troubled all the batsmen. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, English batsmen rode their luck, and then they managed 187 all out. Um, Roach and Gabriel were, uh, like I said, you know, they were, all the fast bowlers were amongst the wicket. Wickets. Okay. Um, in response, West Indies uh, began very cautiously. um you know uh, old fashioned way of batting grinding mm-hmm. the uh, opposition out you know the bowlers uh, um you know taking the shine off the ball uh, the opening partnership was very good i think uh, brethwaite and uh, campbell uh, batted quite well uh, they spent a lot of time uh, at the mm-hmm. crease um they basically nullified the threat of uh, anderson and broad so they played i think 30 33 overs until campbell got out um mm-hmm. and then I think by then I think Anderson and Broad had already uh, spent a lot of energy in trying to get these people out. Of course, there was an element of um, uh, surprised with the surprise with the pitch because of the way it was behaving. So you mm-hmm. never knew when the bowlers would come in. But these two had done their job. So the other batsmen, again, the, the top order, I think uh, they they made a huge difference uh, when you compare West Indies and England. There, um, Shea Hope also spent a lot of time at the crease. He was a bit more brisk. Uh, I think compared to the others, mm-hmm. but then the standout player in uh, the, in their side, I think uh, this is Darren Bravo. Uh, he's naturally an attacking player, 
but on this occasion um, he spent uh, about i think 200 200 and uh, 200 balls or something he occupied the crease for a long long time i think 216 so balls had three right. three sessions three sessions close easy, to three sessions easy yeah. easy yes yeah and then um, at the end i think they managed 300 and then england uh, in the second innings <laughs> they they were routed they were routed for 132 um, and uh, the fast bowlers again doing a very good job uh, mm-hmm. West Indies. Uh, I think the top what? scorer for England was uh, Josh Butler with 24, and that say, that paints the full picture there. That nobody really uh, turned up for England. They were all uh, completely, you know, uh, routed. They were they were gone. Um, uh, we, we also have to remember that um, unfortunately, uh, West Indies fast bowler Alzari Joseph lost his mother uh, yeah. on um, I think on the third day, third day or the yeah. So when Indeed. he came came out to bat on the third day for West Indies, I think uh, yeah he was grieving. So, mm. but he didn't let his uh, team down. So he bowled well. He got the initial breakthroughs. Uh, to be honest, I think he bowled uh, Joseph with uh, he bowled uh, Denley with a beautiful ball. Yeah. Um, and then I think after that, uh, West Indies were left with a target of how much? I think fourteen runs. Yeah. They finished it off in no time. So in the end, you know, in the end, I think it was a completely dominating performance by West Indies uh, over England. England batsmen uh, not delivering the goods. West Indies, I mean, but apart from that, I think you, you really have to commend West Indies. Uh, I think they completely outclassed England on this occasion. So, yeah. Indeed. It was a very nice match and then, yeah, that, that's that's about oh, it. Indeed. So, three-day test, but, you know, if you're a fan of good test match cricket, this was a fantastic match, right? Yeah. I think you've, you've mostly covered all the, you know, the scoring points and the talking points so you've you've done a good job with that and so the only a couple of things i would like to point out what you said about bravo right yeah. that uh, bravo took 216 balls over a 50 this is of course the slowest of his career it's also the slowest by west indian ever right yeah yeah and this places him <laughs> on a rather un uh, glamorous list you know so this this places him third on the list of all time slowest 50s mm. so this is uh, this is a really um, a stodgy or a blockers 11, sort of, so to say. And I will not go through the whole list, but in the top three, we have, um, you know, um, Barnacle Bailey. He was called Barnacle because he was so tough to get off the crease. You know, he used to stick to the crease like a Barnacle, Trevor Bailey. Mm-hmm. So this guy took uh, 350 balls for a 50. This was all in the 50s. And then, of course, Chris Tavare, who's supposed to have never played a shot in anger through his career, they joke, right? So this guy took 236 while making a 50 on the way to 82. And this was in the 80s against Pakistan, right? So then Bravo is third on that list, which is you wouldn't expect for somebody with such a um, such a sparkling stroke play, right? You would not expect such a guy, but I think he had a point to prove and he did it in a very effective way. On a pitch where nobody was even ready to or willing to play 50, 60 balls or able to play 50, 60 balls, this guy plays 216 balls, as you say, spends better part of 350 minutes at the crease, right? So I think he made his own point. I think this 50 runs in this pitch is probably worth three times its, uh, you know, the number on a different pitch, on a pitch that is more conducive to batting, probably he would be 150 not out, right? Mm-hmm. So it is a fantastic innings. I think he held the innings together all the way and he was the last man dismissed. Yeah. And uh, that that more or less did it for England because the Western Indian team is riding on such high confidence that they simply blew the England batting team second time around. As you say, yeah. you know, Alzari Joseph, in spite of being in such a lot of grief, took two wickets, 
and of course the captain holder took four and roach took four so roach had two four first in the game and basically as you say if you, if you look at the series stats holder is the top scorer and the top three run scorers are all west indian and in the top three bowlers you have two west indians only number three is stokes who, had, who has eight wickets so it's it's very interesting so you can see the dominance also in the stats and also in the score line so just yeah. a couple of small things west indies are fully geared up to go on to probably do a black wash uh, white wash black wash right and then holder sort of becomes the first west indian all rounder since sir garfield sobers to top the all rounder chart in tests right since some early 70s this is Yeah, yeah. Then we got to know he's been banned from the third test because of lower rate. Would you like to quickly run us through that fiasco, Kiri? <laughs> I don't know what to say. I mean, um, so we had a five-day test match which got finished inside of three days, right? Um, so where did we lose time? So we still finished ahead of time, and uh, both teams uh, played such good cricket, especially West Indies. they provided a lot of entertainment for the people who you know uh, watch the game from uh, the stadium as well as people uh, who watch them on tv all over the world mm-hmm. um and there were four fast bowlers bowling for the best part of the day you know um and balls being hit all across i mean i mean does it really matter i mean if you look at the over rate i think he was short by only two overs right i think he was just exactly. short by two overs and exactly. <laughs> if you look at that in the context of the whole match I mean come on I mean MCC needs to you know have a have a look at this rule uh, yeah, unless I think uh, it's a match has the been ICC but yes I take yeah, it Yeah MCC sets the rule I mean laws right law of the game whatever um so this is such a kill joy as uh, one of the uh, writers on cricket corporate um yeah I, I mean I don't know like, this is yeah I think I related that article you're right so they probably just enforce the law based on what is written in the book and the uh, yeah. stuff it was not taken into consideration you know, th- this this kind of reminds me of uh, the semi final match uh, between uh, south africa and england in 1992 the world oh, cup oh god yes that excellent example 13 ball exam- 22 runs 13 balls 22 runs macmillan is on strikes it rains there is a short rain break and then they come back it's revised to one ball 22 runs how can you score 22 runs in one ball exactly come on exactly. this is one of those things i think they need yes. to uh, really think about this this is crazy Uh, not just using the rule book, but really using common sense. You're absolutely, absolutely. right. Yeah. And uh, you know, this this guy sort of deserved to if go to the last test, raise the trophy minimum, and maybe even lead them to a final. And you're also robbing West Indies of this very key player. Look, he might be culpable as far as the rules are concerned, but there is sometimes mitigating circumstances and not something outside of the play. But in the play, he's only two over short, and it's it's a ninety day, ninety over test. Day, you know, mm-hmm. there has to be some mitigation. There has to be some some way made. It could be a five minute delay for a, somebody changing a glove or some such. This is silly. But you're right. According to the rules, he's been banned. So it's and uh, probably he was already on some uh, list, notice list because he was already behind over rates for a couple of series, and therefore it's accumulated to this. But this really robs the West Indies of their most important player and this father figure almost, even though he's not the oldest. Yeah. I mean, it's just like uh, uh, I mean, a captain of a football team uh, who is playing in the finals, uh, not being allowed to play because yeah, he had two yellow cards uh, during the tournament, right? I mean, you say no, that's a good yeah. example, and unfortunately, in both the cases, uh, they would be they would be enforced, as you say. So, just going forward, I think just if we were to quickly look at what sort of changes are possible, the third test happens in Saint Lucia, right, and yeah. Darren Sami Stadium, and here. 
um i think from west indian team they 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 they, they, they this is a big blow they have craig brathwaite who can do the captaincy he's done it before but in terms of what really uh, holder is able to bring to the team on the field and mm-hmm. through his performances this they'll miss and also he's an all-rounder right let's not forget it right and then so now they have drafted kimo paul who is a full bowler and who can bat a bit into the team so for west indians i would say either it's jamal warikan who's already in the squad as a left arm spinner or kimo paul who'll step into the squad for england if you were to quickly look at it uh, look the, the the lineup chosen was very good they just didn't do their jobs none of those people who are very aggressive uh, chose to stay and to sort of block some time what what bravo did bravo showed them what needed to happen on that pitch even though it was there were enough you know uh, things that could go wrong he showed you could still bat 300 balls on that pitch right up 300 minutes on that pitch so none, none of them did that job but for them at least maybe they want to bring in wokes for uh, sam karan or maybe even leech you know jack leech the left arm spinner so these are some possible changes but all in all the match starts in on 9th so maybe you know in our following podcast we'll cover it but yeah, or they uh, drop one of their uh, keepers yeah i mean yeah but i i think they need the batting they need all the batting they can get they had 250 or you know between the the two innings they had 310 runs so. no but i think um, i think the, the, the batsmen are also not playing in the right positions um, in the english team to be honest would you see some changes there maybe i think um, uh Johnny Bestow may come in at 5 probably and uh, Joe Root may go up 3 number 3 mm-hmm. who is their best batsman who is their best batsman uh, right now i have george it's joe root you're right uh, in that so, 11 it's joe root yes it's joe root yeah it's going to be tough um ben stoke should still come in at 6 or 6 uh, i think uh, they also have moin ali i totally forgot about him of course exactly uh, <laughs> this is a can of worms giri uh, but i think butler should come in uh, butler should be uh, Uh, number 6 in my opinion he should not come in too early yeah i see uh, let's see so uh, for me uh, maybe they might also make room by dropping folks one of the as you say multitude of keepers mm. and allowing uh, because he had a bruised hand as well in the second test maybe that's an opportunity to let him rest folks but he's and a natural keeper you know he is, natural, he is. Yeah. of course but then in the given form given the amount of batting these both guys do jaz butler and uh, bearsto i don't see them getting dropped let's see how it goes so yeah let's really follow up that in the following podcast one of the upcoming episodes right kiri yeah, so sure. now uh, let's switch over to the limited overs leg of the you know ongoing matches so the one that is um, um, okay the one that uh, we can quickly do is uh, the india versus uh, New Zealand series. So, would you like to quickly run us through the score sheet for the f- fifth ODI, Giri? Yeah, the the last ODI, right? Uh, yeah. This was played at Wellington. Um, so India won the toss, and Rohit Sharma said uh, at the toss that they wanted to bat first because um, they wanted to see how they performed uh, while batting, uh, knowing that they had lost a previous game. Also, uh, where was that? Was that at the same place? Uh, Hamilton I think it was at Hamilton, Hamilton where they were bowled yeah. out for 90 odd runs Indeed. so they wanted to give themselves another chance so they wanted to play a bat again and then see how that went mm-hmm. uh, again they had a collapse uh, at the uh-huh. top of the order they were four down for 18 runs yeah. uh, and then uh, I think Raidu shows his uh, showed his uh, real worth there I think he showed what a valuable uh, member team member he is he stabilized the innings along with Vijay Shankar um, Vijay Shankar got 45 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Kedar Jadav also um, supported Rayudu. He got 34. Pandya, at the end, you know, he played a cameo for 45 runs. But then Rayudu, it was unfortunate to miss out on a century. He got out for 90 runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, I think without that contribution and without the stability that he provided there uh, in the middle order, I think India would not have managed the score they did. They got at the end. It was 252. They were pulled out though. Mm-hmm. Um, New Zealand bowled quite well. The Seamers, uh, Henry got four wickets. Uh, Trent bowled again, three wickets. Very economical. Um, but apart from that, yeah, I think it was in the end uh, probably a par score, maybe five or ten runs short. I think it was not a bad score on that uh, wicket. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, India wanted to test themselves. Uh, they have been good uh, with uh, chasing all these years. Uh, especially under Kohli. So this was a good challenge for them. Um, New Zealand started off, uh, I think they would start, They were quite okay at the beginning, um, but they lost their way in the middle order. I think Kane Williamson's uh, dismissal uh, came at a wrong moment for them. Um, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. He got out, he holed out, um, in the, I think, a deep mid-wicket uh, to Kedar Jadav, you know, a man with a golden arm. He, he, got, he got the breakthrough when it really mattered. Uh-huh. Um, and once Kane Williamson was out, I think they were 100 for 105 for three when uh, Kane Williamson was got out, and then the, he was the fourth guy down. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, they uh, there were more players who had a start. You know, they could not capitalize and then you know ma- make a bigger score. I think they were not. Nobody was there to finish the job. That was basically it. Uh, but if you were to look at the bowling performances, um, the seamers were okay at the top. I think. They were not so expensive, but uh, I think the, they were econo- economical. Um, mm-hmm. um, they had some wickets, the, the shared wickets, Bhuneshwar Kumar, Shami and Pandya. Um, but the spinners, I think they did a very good job yet again. They basically slowed New Zealand down during the middle orders, uh, middle overs, um, like they were meant to do. And uh, that basically meant that New Zealand never got a chance to accelerate when they required. Although the real problem was that they didn't have enough wickets in hand. Um, you, you need to remember that they got bowled out in 44.1 overs. So they had uh, nearly six overs remaining. Uh, and they were bowled out for 217. So the, about 35 runs in six overs was easily possible if they had a few wickets uh, towards the end. Yeah. Um, I think um, a fair um, uh, reflection of uh, India's performance uh, in this series, uh, 4-1. Um, and also India deserved to win this match uh, because of their performance. Player of the match was Ambati Raidu for his mm-hmm. match-winning innings of 90. Of course. And uh, player of the series was Mohamed Shami. Very good. Uh, he bowled really well this series. Uh, and I think uh, this will be uh, very good for India if he continues this form uh, also towards the World Cup, leading up to the World Cup. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, very nice summary. I think you've summarized more or less the entire series. You've done well. So, just a couple of, you know, thoughts from my side. One is that, you know, the literally the middle and the lower middle order of India really came through, both both with the bat and the ball, right? Mm-hmm. So, Ambati Raidu was very nicely supported by Vijay Shankar, Kedar Jadav and Hardik Pandya. And again, you can see the same three names, right? Sort of showing up, uh, not Raidu, but the others, showing up when it comes to the bowling. So, this sort of also showed there's a little bit of depth that uh, the opposition will need to contend with while playing with this Indian team, right? Mm-hmm. And also, in the chase, I think you hit it on the head when you said Ken Williamson, who had sort of taken up a lot of balls, could not kick on. So this is again where I would say the credit goes to Chahal 
and Jadhav, the spinners, who sort of kept him quiet during the middle overs, yeah. right? And uh, as you say, the actually the the figures of the fast bowlers, including Pandya, are a little bit uh, sort of uh, bloated because they sort of went after them in the end. But the initial 25-30 overs were very very well bowled by Indians. They restricted uh, New Zealand very very much. And then of course Latham and Nisham sort of set up a nice. As nice sort of uh, uh, platform, but there was nobody to finish it, as you say. Nisham was yeah. left to do everything by himself, not enough support. And in the end, as you say, they had run a ball 35 to get when they were all out. That shows you that uh, even though they were trying to keep up with the run rate, India always made breakthroughs. So you've uh, you more or less captured all of it. The only thing for me, the only talking point is indeed Mohammad Shami with his bowling has made sure he's now yeah. also going to be considered probably for the second fast bowler spot along with Bhuvneshwar Kumar. Now we know the number one is Jaspreet Bumrah, right, who's rested. Yeah. But in this series, with the competition that they have done, so I saw this article where they are compared head-to-head to head to head and Bhuvneshwar just comes out a little ahead because of the fact that he can also bat. But given how long the initial few matches in the World Cup and the initial stage of the World Cup goes, I think they will be probably rotated throughout. So, Shami has thrown his hat into the ring yeah. to show that he can be the second seamer in the team. Or maybe even the first seamer if they want to, you know, sort of rest yeah, Bobra. Yeah. This is yeah. point number one. Point number two, I think with the what you said, with the sort of innings Raidu played, he showed the value that he brings to this team. There was no, um, you know, Karthik and Dhoni was brought back to keep. And yeah. as we already discussed to show that seniority, which he did in the field, of course. Right. But with the bat, he had already failed. But then Raidu made sure that presence was not really missed. Somebody like Karthik or somebody else like Kohli. So he took this mantle and he showed, he more or less nailed down the number four, I would say. Barring something really drastic happening, uh, he sort of nailed down the number four position in this team going forward up to the World Cup. This is what, this is the two takeaways from the Indian team. From the New Zealand team, as you say, they have gone through a lot of variations. They have gone through a lot of permutations in their lower to middle order as well. Right. And then they also played Nisham. Colin Munro got a chance. He made a comeback, but he couldn't really make it count. Probably if Colin Munro had got an interesting 70-80 or something and won the match for New Zealand, he would have also sort of gotten a second chance. Unfortunately, he couldn't make it count. That's point number one. Also, you know, they have many useful batsmen in the lower middle order, none of them who went on to finish it. So none of them really took the chance that they got. They tried quite a few people. Doug Bracewell, Colin de Grandhomme, Jimmy Nisham, all these people, right? Sandner. And also they brought back Todd Astle in place of Ishodi. But none of these people could really capitalize and win the match. This is the other takeaway for me. So just a couple of quick thoughts. So New Zealand, I think, are going to host Bangladesh, right? And then India will go on to play Australia at home. So they both have their more chances to sort of refine it. But uh, I think this is overall a good series for both teams in as much of rotating players are concerned. But I think New Zealand will be very disappointed with the results. Right, the four one is a yeah. very damning result for them. So they, I think, with the one day, uh, sorry, the T Twenty series that starts tomorrow, that's the sixth of February. I think they'll look to, uh, you know, give India a bit of a hiding so that they can get their own back. Yeah. Right. All right. And Rishabh Pant is back, huh? Aha, your favorite. Yeah. Of course, yeah. I was waiting. I was waiting. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So let's see what Rishabh Pant has to say. He's been kept quiet. He's been kept out of the limelight. I think that's a good thing. Now I think yeah. he can come back and seize the opportunity. There is still this one batting slot. I think one batsman sort of all around the slot in the team that mm-hmm. KL Rahul would probably have considered himself the front runner for it if all those events did not happen mm-hmm. uh, with the coffee with Karan. So now I think Rishabh Pant is the front runner for that spot. So I think he, I still see him making the 15. Let's see how that goes. World Cup 15. Yeah. 
All right. Now, let's go on to the other series, which is the South Africa versus Pakistan T20 series. So, we had covered the first match of the series where Pakistan had lost it really narrowly, right? Would you like to quickly go through the scorecard, maybe? Or shall I go through it? Yeah, you go through it, I think. All right. Mm -hmm. So, if you were to look at the scorecard, so again, in the second T20, it was a really close affair where Pakistan lost by just seven runs. Or let's say South Africa won by seven runs. I put it the first way because it was it felt more like Pakistan losing the match than South Africa winning it. Because in the first half of the inning, South Africa were sort of not looking like they were going to make 188. There was even a rain delay, right, at the end of 16 hours or so. But then um, they came back really strong and got to 188. They were riding on a 65 by David Miller who made 65 out of just 29 balls. After the rain break, he was phenomenal. Like he hit five sixes, right? And then Henry Van Der Dusen made 45. And then uh, Yanaman Milan is one of the new guys. Uh, Yanaman Milan, he he sort of took the opportunity, scored a 33. A little bit of a quiet 33, but a good debut. And Reza Hendricks scored 28. So they had a good challenging total. Eh? On this uh, Joburg pitch, it was not going to be an easy target to chase. But the way Pakistan came out to bat, it was fantastic. Babar Azam is really a revelation in the shorter formats. And mm. he scored a 90 out of 58. And then he was ably supported by Hussein Talat, right? So up until about the 12th, 14th over, there was no way Pakistan was going to lose that match. At least that's how it looked like. And then in the 16th over, Babar Azam gets out and then suddenly it's as if all the air has been let out of the balloon. And there's nobody that's supporting Hussein Talat and finishing the match. What happened is Hussein Talat sort of held one end of the uh, batting and so that the other person, whoever would come on the other end, could go blast off. So... Asif Ali came, Shoaib Malik, Umad Wasim, Hassan Ali. I think they missed somebody like Hafiz in this lineup who would sort of lend you that that calmness when such such was required. I think if you remember, he did this in a ODI, right? Yeah. That they missed here. So, unfortunately, they again sort of fell away in the back half of the innings, the last five hours of the innings, so the last 25 hours of the match, 25% of the match, let's say they gave it up and they lost the match mm-hmm. by seven mm-hmm. runs. Again, very narrow. Only other highlight for me is there was a fast bowler called Lutho Sipamla, a right-arm fast. Another of the, it looks like South Africa now have this conveyor belt of really good, if I may use the word colored, fast bowlers coming through. So you have, um, you know, Lungi Ngidi, you have Kagi Sotavada, of course. Now you have Sipamla, you have Junior Dala, another guy. They are all fantastic, Guran Hendricks. So they, they had none of their starting lineup. They had There was no Stein, Kagi Sotavada, um, Duan Olivier. Nobody was there. Still. This lineup came out well. And the other debutant in the match, right, was Luthosi Pamla, who got just uh, 23 runs given away in four hours. So fantastic given the context of the innings, right? And he's an out and out fast bowler, right? He's not yes. really a medium pacer. No, no, no. He's right arm fast. And yeah. he's 20. He's 20. What I saw, he was already in the, I think, mid 140s. So that's, that's oh, fantastic. Amazing. Unless you're a batsman, that's scary. I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it really bodes well for South Africa that they're able to get the best out of the system they are trying to implement, be it this quota system, whatever you may call it. But when players like this come through, it really does not matter. Nobody will be ever able to talk saying, mm. why are you enforcing a quota system? Yada, yada. Look at the results that the system is bringing through and really look at the talent. This is fantastic to see, right? Um, I think credit to Otis Gibson as well. I think he has uh, uh, probably told the domestic circuit to uh, you know uh, groom more fast bowlers because he has that... He wants to have a fast bowling attack, right? And that thing, he was a fast bowler himself. So, of course, yeah, you're right, absolutely. Yeah. And also, he played 
you know domestic cricket in south africa after yeah. their admission so i think he knows the system very well yeah. absolutely yeah. right all right uh, so a small point which we already sort of made earlier right that uh, sarfraz has been sort of appointed uh, or has been confirmed that he'll be leading the pakistan team yeah. to the world cup so all these all these uh, rumors and rumor mills can be shut down right so that was the good move by pcb i would i would like yeah. to congratulate them so that they squashed all these unnecessary talk in the air so that the pakistan team can concentrate go ahead into the world cup with a positive mindset with a settled captain right yeah all right then so the third uh, t20 is tomorrow it's in centurion uh, 6th of uh, february let's see how that goes and pakistan will want to probably salvage a bit of pride right so they have already lost the one day series narrowly they don't want to also lose uh, the t20 series they want to try totally salvage some pride the series is gone but they want to maybe go away with a bit of pride also shoaib malik uh, in his second coming as a captain has not been successful maybe he wants to stamp his authority on the game tomorrow right mm-hmm. and hafiz will be available i think for pakistan yeah yeah all right if you have anything to add if not we can go back to the india the final of the ranji trophy shall we yeah let's go let's do that let's go ahead all right will you take us through the scorecard quickly giri maybe um all right let yeah. me do it and uh, sorry if i surprised you uh, yeah. <laughs> it's all right my bad I, because i i thought i took a lot of time with the scorecard of the south africa pakistan match i thought yeah. you might want to take over not a problem so if you were to look at the ranji trophy final the ongoing ranji trophy final so two days of play has been completed right so um in fact i'm sorry three days of play has been completed so first of all vidarbha batting first has scored 312 and in reply saurashtra has scored 307 so effectively they have cancelled out each other and vidarbha returns a five run lead which 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 is neither here nor there so in the second innings they have scored 55 for 2 so effectively they are 60 for 2 and this is a one inning shootout for the premier first class trophy in the country in india right ranji trophy so if you were to quickly look at the top run scorers so um saurashtra sort of uh, before we go to saurashtra vidarbha was sort of struggling they were uh, sort of uh, 100 and um, you know 39 for 6 and then um, it so happened that um, they had a sting in the tail so their lower order contributed heavily and took them to 312 again if you were to look at the um, saurashtra innings the same thing happened so you know they were again having a big sting in the tail they were again you know very 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 much in trouble at 5 for 131 but then the lower order bailed them out um so again pujara who was very much in the news um they sort of worked him out i think right mm-hmm. so would you like to quickly take us through what happened with pujara maybe in a minute or so Well, I mean, I read an article uh, somewhere on Quick Info. I think uh, <clears throat> this guy Sarwate is that the mm-hmm. name of the guy? Yeah, Sarwate. Sarwate, probably, but Sarwate. Sarwate. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. It's pronounced as well. I don't know the full right pronunciation. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Apologies to Sarwate. All right. Um, I think the the trick was to have a lot of close-in fielders, so on both uh, the the offside as well as the onside, so the silly point as well as the short leg. um so pujara was kind of uh, i think it was still early in his innings uh, how many balls did he play i'm just looking at the scorecard myself i think he only played uh, 11 balls so you are yeah. right first 10 balls mm. or something yeah mm. yeah i think and then uh, it was kind of 
the, the basically, uh, he could not just prod, prod forward and you know push the ball away towards the offside or the onside. Mm-hmm. So there was always a guy, uh, you know, uh, under the lid, like they call it. Um, so uh, it was kind of stifled, uh, and I think this is maybe a way to, uh, you know, this may be a trick to get him out early in the innings. I think this may be one of the things they, the Australians missed um, uh, back in Australia when uh, India had such a good series there. Right. Um, so, uh, and then I think uh, he just tried to uh, move back, uh, you know, play a ball um, off the back foot for a ball which was not short enough, and then he got an edge, and then uh, Wasim Jaffer. Uh, um, caught it at uh, the slips, I think, the first slip. Um, wow. So it was kind of, uh, he. it was a good length ball. He did not come forward um, mm-hmm. enough or, um, so he went back, uh, but I think it was too uh, too full to uh, play a cut or something like that. So this may be a way to get him out. Maybe he will work on it. I think he will probably sort this out himself. But mm-hmm. this may be an opening for people who think uh, they cannot uh, dislodge him, dislodge his wicket. Of course. No, but yes, there will always be chinks in our defensive armour. And as you say, yeah. rightfully, uh, the slow left-arm bowler sort of found it and exploited it. And yeah. probably, as you say, he was never allowed to find his feet in, on the crease, right? Yeah. And eventually, he was in no man's land when he nicked one to slip. This is this is well, well uh, thought out, as you pointed out. Yeah. And uh, interesting. So, maybe teams that are looking at uh, how to get Pujara out of after what he... Yeah. ...in Australia... Of this book, right? All right. So now, with two days remaining, I think it's 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 anybody's game, really. It's well balanced. We don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, no problem. So uh, let's let's really let's really see who can take the trophy. I still back uh, as as I said in the last uh, episode. I still back Vidarbha to retain the trophy. Let's see how it goes. All right. Now uh, let's quickly look at some miscellaneous topics. Really small topics. Yeah. Right? I'll I'll quickly run through them. So first of all. Angelo Pereira, who sort of already represented Sri Lanka at the highest level, only in a handful of matches, has done something that has not been done since 1938. So what he has done is he's gone ahead and scored um, two double tons, right? Two double hundreds in a first-class fixture. This is this is this is amazing. I find that you know in this day and age, even in first-class cricket in Sri Lanka, they are able to do this. So I was reading an article and I quickly uh, were to summarize it. The Selection panel in Sri Lanka demanded that there be more grass on the pitch mm-hmm. so that not all spinners take the lead when it comes to taking wickets. Unfortunately, what has happened is that has made the wickets a bit bind tightly. That means it's become really good for batting. So suddenly the whole first-class scene has changed in Sri Lanka where there are a lot of double hundreds. I think I, I think I read 11 or 12 double hundreds in a matter of six or seven matches, right? Including these two. So Angela Pere- uh, Angelo Pereira sort of, you know, uh, has been able to do it. It has not been done since 38, where a Kent batsman called Arthur Fagg, uh, who was also very young, did it in Colchester in, before the World War, Second World War. And then this guy, who was representing, um, you know, nondescript cricket club, did this. So this is a nice thing to for all, all of us to remember. Then, if you were to look at, um, for example, uh, there is an interesting article I saw. Uh, from Shastri, uh, Ravi Shastri, not the article, but his comments, where he says, you know, clearly, abroad, outside of India, in the, you know, the southern hemisphere, so to say, and on the bouncier pitches, it looks like he believes Kuldeep is the lead spinner. Because he's a wrist spinner, he's sort of overtaken both Ashwin and Jadeja, who are um, 
finger spinners. And now, because of his performance entirely in Sydney, right, he's completely leapfrogged Ashwin, who has more than 350, and Jadeja, who has more than or nearly 200 wickets, to become the lead wrist spinner in the uh, abroad, you know, in the conditions that are outside. That was very interesting. So, and also the other thing I think he was jovially saying, this is very Ravi Shastri thing to say, that, uh, you know, he was going to call up Pujara and uh, um, tell him, stop batting, man, <laughs> go home, take some rest. You know, you've been playing in Australia, now you want to play, continue playing for your state team. But uh, we should also have to appreciate the consummate professional that Pujara is, right? Yeah. He loves batting so much, he'll bat anywhere. Tomorrow, if you call him to bat for the Jalandhar Railway Canteen, I'm sure he'll go bat for them, right? <laughs> right, right. Yes. And karaoke will be very happy. Of course, of course. So, but in his inevitable style, this is what Ravi Shastri had to say about how Pujara plays, right? Yeah. So, court verbatim. Pujara smells the leather, whether he's playing forward or backward defensive. No one smells the leather in defense better than Pujara. You can ask him if it's Christian Dior or Armani. Apparently. <laughs> so, you know, the, the commentator or the summarizer in Ravi Shastri has not gone away. This is very clear. Yeah. All right. So this is just some anecdote, funny thing. But of course, uh, in, in a rather unfortunate turn of events, something happened around the 18th of January which only came to light for us recently. This was brought to light by a podcast called Cricket Kannadiga Podcast. It's a podcast in Kannada language. So those of us who speak Kannada or from subcontinent may want to hear to this, right? So it's a podcast uh, where they talk about the roundup of cricket. Uh, maybe they do it once every two weeks or so. But in that, they mentioned a point that Mushir Khan, who is the brother of uh, the rather infamous Sarfaraz Khan, who is from Mumbai, but went on to represent UP, in uh, Ranji, and then of course also plays for RCB last year. He's the Mushir Khan is this guy's brother, and he, as a captain of the under 16 team, got banned for three years. Mushir Khan, who's hardly 16, has been banned for three years by the Mumbai Cricket Association. This has come uh, as a very, let's say, unfortunate thing because uh, this this family has slightly a bad name, if I may use that term, because you know Sarfraz Khan was also a prodigy batting, but then. He, he had some weight issues and he wouldn't listen to anybody uh, when they told him you need to exercise a bit more, you need to, you're still very young, you're still under 20, you can get your body structure under control, right? And he even got selected to play for RCB where after a couple of matches, I think Kohli ended up saying something like, you know, he needs to be a bit more professional, he needs to bring his weight under control, something like this. It was not a very nice thing to hear because apparently he's a batting prodigy, but he shows a bit of attitude both on the field and off it. So that, that doesn't bode well, right? So that's why, you know, something, unfortunately, I think the younger brother has picked up a few older brothers' bad habits, maybe, as we say in India. I hope, you know, this young lad sort of makes up for his lost time and losing three years is too much, I think. Even at under 16 at level, age, it could be, yeah. yes, it could be crucial. It's a grooming period, yeah. So it's, yeah. All right. Now, um, these were all the sort of miscellaneous events. So, now we are back to the last thing that remains, which would be, we have a new trivia question. So, yes, uh, of course, let me quickly go through the trivia question and maybe we can also revisit the issue of Smith, you know, Stephen Smith, whether he comes back, right? So, yeah. let me go through the trivia question. So, the trivia question is, um, now, in the history of test cricket, in all of the 140 years or so of test cricket history, there's only one tri-series of test that's tests that's ever been held. 
you know and i'm not talking of something like an asian cricket championship or a upcoming world cricket championship of tests no so this is really a tri series much like an australian tri series that happened all through 90s and early 2000s right where there were three teams in the same country and they were sort of playing each other while the third team waited so to say so this has happened only once so i would like to ask our listeners when and where was the only test tri series held and who are the teams that played in it this is a question trivia question i would like to point out you can get back to us using our mail id amchair cricket uh, amchair.cricket@gmail.com or on twitter at amchair cricket pod so we are very curious to you know see what inputs you have and what answers you have for us right so we'll be very uh, eagerly looking forward to your answers please do write in all right now if you were to just go back quickly to the point of steven smith i think uh, that's a that's a good point uh, giri thanks for reminding me about it i think i had forgotten about it earlier so what are your thoughts on steven smith's uh, rehabilitation from elbow injury mm, yeah i think we spoke about this offline as well uh, both uh, steven smith and david warner will not be part of the leadership group as they call it uh, in mm-hmm. australia there mm-hmm. so they probably mm-hmm. will not be uh, captains again in either formats um, but steven smith has had this uh, injury you know to his elbow uh, it's mm-hmm. probably not fully recovered um so i think they're probably looking at ashes right now so they want they would uh, like him to be fully fit uh, for the ashes uh, after the world cup he may even skip the world cup you know um they probably bring in david warner but i think steven smith smith will um, probably skip the world cup and uh, play the ashes off right after that Uh, just to allow you know more time for his recovery as well as you know uh, maybe that's that that's his future i think they will look at him more more of uh, as a test batsman rather than a, a white ball player and finch will uh, you know captain the world cup team uh, all right yeah, yeah. So looks like something and also from what you point out we don't know if and when these both may even ever get an opportunity to captain an australian mm-hmm. side mm-hmm. and that means probably pain is sort of Uh, penciled in as the skipper for ashes as well because there are no other tests between now and ashes right for australia so you you might be right and i think sort of pain also showed up a bit of his uh, reputation by getting a 2-0 victory against uh, sri lanka doesn't matter right a victory is a victory you take it against him <laughs> so he yeah, got it. still a test team yeah yes yes so that's that's good good on him and i think there's this continuity that really helps i think pain himself is growing as a captain you know it's not released really to captain at the highest level so i think that's useful all right then so um i would say i would encourage all our listeners to continue listening to us and you know there's quite a lot of cricket coming up we we're going to look at the t20 series versus uh, new zealand for india right mm-hmm. and then uh, more uh, probably the shortly the full tour of uh, sri lanka yeah uh, rather sri lanka's full tour of south africa will start also bangladesh are coming to tour new zealand so plenty of cricket still left to look forward to and of course week. the last test match at uh, st lucia Oh yes, yeah. well done, yeah. well done, well done, and the remainder of the Ranji final. So, plenty yeah. of cricket can discuss in the upcoming episodes, Kerry. Right? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. All right. So, an exciting couple of weeks coming up. Okay, then, guys, thanks a lot for listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. I would like to thank Giri for his very useful contributions, and I think he he sort of reins me in. I tend to run away with the topics. Thanks for that, Giri. And thanks for uh, all right. Okay, thanks a lot, Giri. and uh all right then guys have a nice rest of the day and rest of the week
and uh, hope you keep listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Goodbye. Bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.